What's up, DJs? We're here with another Mindful Good Morning, a show where we talk about crypto, NFTs, and the happenings of life. You can participate with us by checking it out every Monday to Saturday at 9.30 a.m. CST on our Twitter spaces, at MindfulDGens. Without further ado, here's the episode. Good morning, sir. How's your day going? It's going great. I'm just uh, getting the gym before I get on the road. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're on your way to Disneyland. <laughs> the most magical place in the world. I can't freaking wait, bro. He's going to Legoland after that, everybody. I met, I met this chick. She's got a little girl. You got to do what you got to do. Ooh. We were no, actually just I'm... talking about that this morning. I'm ready to go. What's up, Nick? We got Nick down there that just showed up. What's up, Nick? Freeze. He's been in the Discord. He just showed up. We chat chatted the other day for like a fucking 45 minutes, I feel like, uh, up in the VC talking about um, just like Web3 and, and introductory stuff. And he's actually wanting to get into it. So I just wanted to shout out to him real quick. But yeah, so tell me more about Legoland. Legoland? Yeah, what are you uh, doing? What are you, where are you going? Isn't that where you're going? Yeah, so I'm going to Permissionless down ah, in Palm Beach. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I might stop by Legoland on the way, but um, I'll end up at Permissionless. And yeah, just it's it's like the biggest Web3 conference uh, to, to date. And it's going to be different than like NFT New York City, I think. I think it's going to be more like companies, institutions, and how they, how they view Web3, which actually I'm more excited about. So looking forward to it. What are you going to be doing while you're down there? How long are you going to be there for? I'm going to be there till it ends Thursday. I'm not sure if I'm going to come back Friday morning or Thursday night, but um, it's, yeah, so it starts today if you own a, a Permi, which is their NFT. There's a VIP party for the NFT holders, but um, it ends Thursday. It's just going to be three days of like, so many speakers like the speaker list is insane where did you say once again it's in palm beach okay yeah okay so how far away is that for me was that like 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 three hours about close to three hours yeah man you know i've never even traversed orlando to palm beach but i just it seems like something that would be three hours away <laughs> yeah because miami's four this isn't quite miami so that's a good thing. Bong. Yeah. That's exciting. So what what are you most excited about? Like what are you really looking forward to? Are you going to any particular um speakers, events, or any parties or anything like that that you're like really hyped about? Well, I'm I'm upset because I didn't sign up for the yacht party that's going down tonight. Um it's this forty million dollar yacht that has like open bar, open food, and like it takes off into the water tonight and it was free. Uh, but I missed the uh, RSVP, so I'm upset about that. But there's going to be tons of parties. Uh, I'm excited to hear about the CEOs and the people within the companies that are actually building the stuff and what they're seeing um, for the future of Web3. And I really don't think there's any better way to get your information, right, than the people directly working and building and putting money behind things that we're going to be utilizing. So I'm excited to hear all the all the all the teams from the from the uh, blockchains that we all hear about, Solana, Ethereum, uh, people from some of the gaming development companies that are coming out, um, probably a bunch of Web three companies that we don't even know about that are building some dope shit right now, like, and and you'll be able to hear about it earlier. And 
So I'm just excited for that. I'm excited to party afterwards. There's a ton of networking events and and get to meet some really cool people in the Web3 space. So it's going to be dope. All right. Well, I'm actually kind of happy you didn't get on that yacht because that sounds like an SEC honeypot. So I'm just going to – I need you – I need you, you – I don't – yeah, I don't need you locked up right now, okay? I need you I need you with me, with us. So let, let, let them all get on the yacht and go offshore. I don't know if you've ever seen Arrested Development, but, you know, they're going to be, like, they're going to be offshore and then a scoop, you know, they're going to come in on the boats and uh, it's going to be it's gonna Wolf be wild, Street so. style. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, but, but that being said, um, yo, like, let's get up, if you don't mind, since you're a D-Gen and you're one of the founders and, I think it's only, I think it would only be like appropriate that, you know, you kind of do some like recap or coverage for us as like a correspondent out there. So like, you don't have to do your whole ass show because that's a whole bunch of time, but it'd be kind of cool if you could do some like, I don't know, like maybe as little as like doing like a write up after every day, but like maybe taking some pictures, shooting some video or something like that. Maybe doing a couple of live streams while you're there with your phone. I'd, um, yeah, I'd kiss you on the forehead. Yeah, bro. I'm like I'm like the Michael Deasons reporter. That's I'm what I'm saying. <laughs> you get up with Andrew and me and and Alex, and we'll we'll make sure that that uh, we we help you structure it in a way that's like pragmatic and efficient. So that way you don't have to worry about like having a shit ton of video footage of like random stuff, like you know very specific things that you do. Take some pictures and do a couple write ups, and then maybe at the end of the week, you know you you can incorporate that into your show uh, when you get back. Yeah, that's a good idea. I could just focus and then. On that. And that's a big trick too. If you actually want to know one of the content marketing tricks, uh, if you do that, if you make a bunch of smaller pieces of content for a bigger thing, so like if you're going to go to an event and you like get into the habit of like doing little breakdowns and journaling, essentially use social media to kind of be like your journal. And then when you get done and you go to make a wrap up piece of content, you'll have all of the stuff that you need to talk about already written and you just need to go in and expand on it and add context, add the pictures, add the video, et cetera. And then you'll have like, you know, a fucking, you know, three, 4,000 page blog or 4,000 word blog post with like a bunch of shit that you could probably bake up into like two or three blog posts. Yeah, bro. Uh, pretty, yeah, that's a good idea. I use social media like that for my show. So um, I think, I think it'll be dope. I think uh, we, sh- we could share some good alpha with everybody after this week. So I'm down. Bing bong. Very excited. Drone God, what's good? Baroness, what's good? Drone God. I, I see Drone God. I know it's Drone God. I got to say Drone God because it's Drone Goo, you know, but with the dot, dot, dot. But I know that he wants it to be Drone God, but I know who it is. Oh, he's coming on up. Come on up, Drone God. It sounds like I'm saying Jerome God. Well, I've Drone got like Jerome God. Go, and I'm like, fuck, man, I need new ENS. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, one second. My kids, my kids, giving me some love. I love you too, baby. Are you guys getting out of here? Okay. Oh, what's up, Drone Goo? You doing all right today, bro? I'm doing great, guys. How's everyone in this? Pretty, pretty good. Vibing, man. Vibing. Haven't seen you. Haven't heard from you in, a, in about a week. I know, man. I uh, I, what's it called? I've been crazy in real life i got like i've been shooting a lot which is good and yesterday we finally like up here in new england we finally got some good weather where it's like 70 degrees outside and sunny so took the camera and the drone outside 
and uh, just, yeah, had a little picnic on the beach and, and then getting back to the Twitter spaces. What part of New England are you from again? Boston uh, area? I was born in Boston, but uh, I'm from Narragansett, Rhode Island. So, like, southern Rhode Island. Little, little Dope. down here, so. Oh, man, you guys got some some really – you got some beer that people get really fancy about. Oh, uh, what, what, the Narragansett? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've had I've had some I've had some people that were like like they're like it's that or nothing. It's like I literally got eighty taps here. You know what the thing come is, on, though, Kyle. The thing is though, like coming from like I grew up here in this town in Narragansett, and the joke is like, dude, they outsource the brewing of Narragansett to like Pennsylvania, I think, with Yingling Brewers, uh, back in like the eighties. So like <laughs> that's a little clout, like all the. the the true Narragansett people are like, yo, you don't even make it in Narragansett, so take it off your name. No, <laughs> but uh, we have another another beer that you definitely got to try. It's called Whalers Brewing, and uh, they're they're local too. They have a really cool like tap room uh, in South Kingstown, Rhode Island, and they're like a really good. Uh, they're they're freaking awesome, dude. That's sick. I had a uh, I had a boss i had a manager um slash owner we had he set up like back in the day when it was like new when i was bartending it was like 2013 here and again like we live in panama city beach and so like all of the stuff that we do that's like trendy is actually was trendy eight years before in like california or like bigger cities so then you could like plot that on a fucking map dude that's how i actually got into running my own businesses i was like yo if i can get on that five-year curve and run a business for five years and start doing things that i know are ahead of the curve for five years then i could become like the de facto like leader for certain things if i just put in the time because i know that these dipshits over here aren't gonna fucking do it themselves so um that's one of the things that you know we started getting like this was one of the places that had the first like you know seven dozen beer taps set up and it was a and it was a big um spring break place too which was horrible um because like they try to fucking order like you know off of that shit in the middle of the night you know it's like two o'clock in the morning and you got people that want to order off of that like the drunk dude it's like can i see your beer list it's like get the fuck out of here dude i bet you'd ask for a pina colada too you know if you had the opportunity to at a fucking club like come on like it's just ridiculous um but we had the owner like out of all of those taps you know, and we had like Blondales, we had the entire beer spectrum, lagers, porters, Blondales, brown ales, um, like just every type of fucking beer you can imagine. Uh, he got Narek Acid just for himself. He was the only person that drank it. And he would get like a fucking thing in his ass if he came out and there wasn't any because we sold it. He would get pissed. Like he would actually get angry if we would sell it to people to the point where there wouldn't be any left for him and i was just like that's the kind of shit that makes me like you know i could probably run a restaurant and do fairly well (laughs) and not even have to put too much energy into it because you got some really dumb ass motherfuckers that run these restaurants that just they they cater to like the dumbest shit they they barely fix their stuff they uh, just don't even get me started please stop me alex stop me But it, the funniest part, too, is, like, uh, Narragansett, like, up here in the town, like, you cannot find it on tap anywhere. I mean, maybe if they start doing, like, I think Gansett has, like, an IPA or something, they, they, they'll they have that. But, like, they actually, 
I think in like New York, it's like a ten dollar beer, and like up here, it's like in the bottle, and it's like your lowest end next to like your course or like a Miller. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, too fucking funny for real though. It's like PBR outside of fucking Ohio, dude. Like, my, like my friends would be like, "Bro, you brought cancer? Like, what are we fucking in high school?" Like. <laughs> Oh my god, no dead ass. No, oh my god, I can only seriously because that's how people like I've seen that before. Like drinking PBR, people from wherever the fuck that's from would be like, "You guys like, you guys like that? And, like that's literally supposed to be like just like the the cheapest, most like barely there fucking beer there is." Um, you know, it was like for like fucking steel workers and stuff like that back in the day. So like, they're like, "You guys, that's like a that's that's something that you guys really like down here and it's like man i remember like when pbr that was like if you brought pbr to a party that was like there was so much better than bud light uh and it, it was so much better than natty light it was like the natty light it was like highbrow natty light i think is the best way to put pbr and you know what to close out on the gansett the the best part is i had a mentor once that i worked with in an internship uh, in like supply chain, he was just a supply chain guru. And um, one of his senior projects in college was he worked at the Narragansett Brewery, like when it was in, in South County, Rhode Island. And uh, they were trying to cut costs and or like just just raise like profitability. And so if you worked at Narragansett Brewing back in like the late 70s, early 80s, um, they actually, you, whenever you would work, like when you were off shift, you got two free beers and it, that was like the thing. Everyone would have their two free beers like after and then go home. And then they did an experiment on how to save costs and they go, how about this? How about we offer everyone unlimited free beers as much as they want, right? They actually dropped beer consumption because it was more taboo that you didn't have, like you wouldn't walk out without having your two beers, right? But if someone can sit there and have seven, most of the people dropped to having one or they didn't feel bad if they didn't have the two. So it goes to say how good probably Gantt was, like even in its existence that their workers were like, nah, I don't need any of that shit today. <laughs> Oh, that's sick. I love it. I love conversations like this. Uh, Drew, did you have anything to say about PBR and Eric Acid or any type of fucking beer in general? Uh, PBR, you know, thank you, Pabst. No, I'm good. I'd like a Yingling. I'll take a uh, maybe a Bud Light, but if I'm getting fancy, I want a Heineken Light for sure. That's uh, that's Heine. my most favorite drink. Not a Heine, goddammit. I said Heine oh, Heine Light. Light. And there's a fucking difference, and I don't drink Heineken. That shit is as fuck, but a Heineken light, I will have sex with. Bro, why don't you, you know, I could just pee in a fucking bottle and give it to you, I'm pretty sure, and it would taste just as good as Heineken. Well, Heineken, yeah. Light, Heineken, Heineken light, I'm sorry. No, no, Heineken light now is uh, like smoking a fine doobie. It's, uh, <laughs> is it's it? lovely. You oh, you like the hops. You, oh, that's what you like. You like it because it's like it's it's actually got some nice hoppy flavor to it, yes. and it's not as offensive as an actual IPA. Yes, yes. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yes. I see. I can appreciate that. I can appreciate because Heineken does have a nice musky weed flavor to it, and uh, the Heineken light probably is a little bit more chill and less, you know, in your face, and you could probably taste more of that that uh that resin. Yeah, that uh, regular Heineken, it's just, it's got too much body to it, man. It's, uh, I mean, if I had to, I would, but, man, it's, 
it's so much better when you got that Heineken light. I love it. I love it. I love you. So happy that you're that you're coming up here and talking to us. How's uh your wife get her car and everything worked out? How's that going? Yep, got her car back, got the bumper back, uh, got the Cadillac Update Corvette. everybody real quick. Let everybody know what happened real quick. Yeah, my wife's lost her keys about a month ago at her job. Somebody wandered into her office and or pickpocketed her on her elevator. Her car went missing a week later during a crazy week of spring break. Um, cops didn't do anything because there's a lot of shootings going on down here. So a month later, it got dropped off at a mechanic with no catalytic converter behind a dumpster and the bumpers all fucked up. So, um, anyway, they had our credit cards, try to use our credit cards. They had one of our checks. They tried to write a check in my name and wrote my name as fucking Andy. So now I want to kill the dude. Nobody talks to fucking Andy. Um, but anyway, we stopped the check. I'm put on national fraud alert. So is my wife. Cars back. We had to pay about three hundred dollars to get it rekeyed. We're out like two fifty for insurance deposit. Um, but it's all good. We're still alive. So no, no. They they're really the dude really fucked up by trying to write a check in my name because uh, now they're gonna be able to subpoena my bank and. Uh, Isn't that wire fraud? Is that yeah, what that it's is? Like, it's not only wire fraud. It's identity fraud. It's uh, fraud with uh, theft over like a thousand dollars. Like uh, yeah. That's the kind of stuff that'll get you. He actually did us a really big favor. The detective is actually going to a class about fraud. Actually, I think as of right now. So when he gets back, he's going to do a lot more investigating with GPS location on the car. They're like, yo, 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 we need to go get this guy trained up real quick. (laughs) He doesn't know enough. We need to go get him trained up. and fucking a different school to come back to work on this case, I guess, so. Now yeah, that's back and this guy. So hopefully, but it's all good. She got her car back. So I support my tax dollars being used in that way. That's that's good use of tax dollars. Yeah, and perpetual education. Uh, the detective, uh, a nice young, strapping, handsome young man. Uh, he's about thirty-five, handsome as shit, and uh, I'm really hope this dude fucking gets this dude. He tried to write a check and uh, to pay for his dentist braces, and wrote his name as Jacob Barlow. So uh, hopefully that dude gets busted. We've been doing some investigation over him. Yeah. If I was going to be a cop, the only cop that I would want to be, if I had to be any type of cop, which I never, just on the record, like I would never want to be a cop. Just want to put that out there. But if I would ever want to be a cop, I think I would want to be an investigator because that's got to be, I got, you know what I mean? Like it's job is just like show up and figure like people do dumb things. And then you sit there and dig through paperwork and put stuff together and figure out what they did. And, and that's it. Like, that's come on. Like, give me, I don't want to be the guy on the street. I'd rather be the one that's like fucking going through the paperwork and call me crazy. Yeah. I, w- I was actually showing interest in that when I worked at Sam's club for five years as a checkout supervisor, I was moving up into management and I was going to take a loss prevention job at the dope store, but I actually got fired because I didn't pass the prerequisites. I was smoking pot. But anyway, Too much pot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, I was going to eventually do shit like that, but uh, no, nah, I never got into loss prevention because of that. So, but uh, yeah, I love that investigating shit. Dude, you damn sure know that first night we went out looking for our car and we looked up who Jacob Parlo was. I just about drive to Matunga myself, but. I, I'll let him live for now. You know how it is, Dennis. Oh, man, I got stories that we could tell, but I'm not going to right now. I want Burn Pile to come up here. Burn Pile, I tried to let you up, but it wouldn't, like, I was hitting the button aggressively. I was I was tapping the shit out of it. I even tried closing 
I'm coming back into Twitter, everything. And it just wouldn't, it was like, nah, brah. And then I gave you that invite. So like, if you want to come up, I want to talk to you about that Dow tooling. Um, if you want to come and talk about it still, um, you rug, you got rugged last time, right. As you went into it, but it's okay because I had to get the recording going anyway, which it is right now. Um, and so Andrew, if there's anything that I need to redact, uh, let me know. Bing bong. No redactions needed. I love that. See, we live, we, we should post on main people. We should post on main. Where did burn pile go? Did he leave again? Oh, where is he? Drum God, what do you got going on this week? Dude, you know, it's super funny. My girlfriend just got like a, like a influencer drop. And it, what is it? It's the Dwayne Wade edition Bud Light Zero package. Nice. <laughs> it's like a freaking crew neck with like Dwayne Wade on it. But then it's like all Bud Light Light or Bud Light Zero, I think, or something. But mad funny. I just walked in the other room and the, the box was just open. So. <laughs> pretty hilarious <laughs> um what do i got going on i'm shooting like eight uh pieces of real estate this week so we got some sun tomorrow a little bit right now and uh just editing doing some stuff i work for a um a real estate brokerage here in rhode island um as like a creative strategist so i like run some of the social and then um just take drone footage and stuff of of different homes that's sick. Um, I did. I got into real estate photography back in like 2017, 2018. I live here in Pat again, Panama City Beach. So lots of, lots of condos, lots of houses, vacation rentals, lots of Airbnbs, lots of market opportunity. But it's just like it's one of those things that like gets so crowded. The market itself, like for for photographers, that it's like something that I just don't give two flying fucks about like enough to be able to justify the amount of time and energy it takes to effectively market myself. And that's also because like mainly my thing is a marketer. Like that's that I'm, I'm a marketing strategist and, and I focus heavily on, on branding and content and community stuff. So like, um, you know, it's like, I just look at it kind of like, fuck, like it just got to a point where I was like, well, that's just not something that I want to spend my time doing. If it's going to take that much energy to, to really go out there and do that. We do weddings, and whatnot um and even that like we even took a break on that too because again like we live in a uh, a budget destination wedding location and so like the amount of people that just like go to walmart and pick up a fucking cheap dslr and go ham and then start charging 50 bucks for an hour for a wedding you know for like 12 hours at a time it just sets the expectations so so bonkers <laughs> like and it's and it's just one of those things it's just like it's not it's not worth competing at that level and I'd rather just teach people how to like shoot their own wedding rather than try to offer myself or get somebody else to offer themselves at, you know, uh, a rate, which is less than what they need to be able to survive because then it just degrades the quality of the market as, as a whole. And that's where now we just do word of mouth stuff. <laughs> like, it's funny. Cause like, as I got better and more and more into marketing, I stopped marketing and I got more into doing relationship management. Yeah, honestly, like, uh, I personally, like I did, <laughs> I'm a real estate agent as well with the brokerage that I work for. So oh, Joe. that's how it kind of like came into it. Cause I was doing a bunch of work for our broker owner because they had like much higher end listings. Um, 
but I mean, it, realistically, dude, like low, like mid grade real estate and like lower end stuff. That's like pretty much that's where like all the money is like un- until you get to the point of like really being able to consistently grocery store high, high price listings or like actually transact and win out, uh, win out your contracts in this type of market. It's just like putting lipstick on a pig, dude. I don't shoot any interiors at all. I go, no, not for me. Uh, I'll come Good and for you. I'll- yeah, I'll do like 200, 250 bucks for an aerial session and you'll get 10 to 15 photos and they're going to be mint and freaking awesome because I'll go through and do a little bit of retouching just as my deliverable. I don't allow for anything like less and then and then adding in like a video part. So, I mean, mainly some of these video pack, I mean, uh, some of these photo packages on listings, um, if I were to contract it out independently to someone, they're like, the, the brokerage has already paid for like interiors and then they add the extra $50 for aerials. And it's like, dude, the aerials are so trash that they'll still come out and hire me or as the creative strategist, I'll be like, yeah, don't get aerials on that house. Like we'll go and get them ourselves and we'll do like a twilight sort of package or something to really like give it that oomph once it hits the market. And, and realistically in most of the markets that I've seen um, it's, you really, I mean, the uh, the 3D uh, Matterport tours plus a really nice looking aerial um, is probably what's going to sell your home and some mid-grade photos that are in, like no one's looking through the 50 photos on MLS being like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. I'm going to buy this. Like, no, Bro, I tried getting into Matterport. That was one thing that we tried to do back in 2017, oh, 2018. The subscription cost, man, the fixed cost on that is like ridiculous. It is. It is. But it's so well, I mean, and I think that there's I think what it is is there's a need for that there's a need for like that three D stuff. And especially we see it now and it's like at scale. But like Matterport was like is a perfect example of like what I was just saying about like that five year shit. Cause like you could see five years ago, Matterport was definitely around and making waves in big markets like Denver shit like that like you could like that had been around but it's still something that wasn't massively adopted but the adoption is coming up but it's not so much that it's the matterport as much as it's the 3d tour and matterport just has a really good way of stitching together their their images and creating a front-end user experience as well on top of that that you know has never been replicated before you know what i mean and so i think that that's what it is over time it's going to be easier and easier to do that you're going to see open source software come out that you can already do stuff like that in in photoshop if you wanted to you can probably go into photoshop and and stitch your shit together in a way and it would take a ton of fucking time and it would be such a fucking headache but you could already probably do that but that's the thing is like matterport did that five years ago i wanted to if i had the money five years ago to invest in it i was going to do it and i was going to be the first motherfucker here in town literally with a fucking matterport because nobody had it all of the agents like i said it's a five it's a bell curve so like you just wait five years and the, the all of the most of them that are in it that are making the money are complacent and they don't want to change unless they have to so they'll just sit there and like five years ago it was very much still like oh i don't even need to be on facebook like i just focus on the website and i get google ads and blah 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 and it's like fast forward to now and and the only people left that are saying that they don't need to be on facebook are the absolute laggards that like they won't change until they're dead as a business and that's that yeah so it's really saturated and that's why i think honestly what i've seen great success is like i've i've tried coming in and doing um 
some real estate stuff in some of our higher end listings of making it like a cinema like production almost like very low grade you know i'm filming this whole thing with like my uh my drone and then honestly to get some of those like harder to reach places and not have to like lug a gimbal around i'll go and bring like the osmo mobile for like the iphone and with the 13 pro max um, I'll just shoot 4K, 4K 60, and in the 0.5, so it's kind of like a, a very wide-angle fisheye, but you can get into such close quarters, or it makes the home look so much more bigger, or so much bigger, um, and, like, honestly, that is, like, the most feasible thing. You can airdrop those clips off to the Mac. You can, like, be in and out of Premiere within, like, an hour, two hours, and that's literally, like, you're paying, you're charging them, like, a a good video i mean it's like 500 dollars at least or whatever and then you can get like a model to come or something and it's like a low grade model of course but i mean what do you pay them 50 to 100 dollars and the client needs that cost and they go and do that so my girlfriend and i did one um where we just got like this labrador retriever and uh she was just like running around like this like house and my girlfriend has acting experience and um but she was just able to like carry some fresh flowers and like a little thatched like uh wicker purse and uh next thing and we did it on one of our like 6.5 million dollar listing like our brokerage not mine personally but um next thing you know serena and lily like reached out to us and uh we're like yo we freaking love this and so we, I got our content posted on Serena and Lily, like as a reel, because why we wanted to market it was we were like, well, it's 50 acres. It's $6.5 million. The highest sale comparable to this was like 3 million. So it's like an already a tough sale. And we just completely threw away marketing any parts of the home or anything. And it was just like a lifestyle, like a, a woman with her dog running around in like sunny moment, waterfront on a pond. Like Yo, it. yes. God, that's preached, dude. That's the thing that I fucking try to tell people. And I think real estate is going to benefit the most from that is like your marketing needs to be lifestyle oriented. You don't need to fucking market the the specifics of the homes and stuff like that because the people that are truly interested in what they see will go to actually look at it to see like it's like when you go to a fucking museum you don't like walk around and look at the plaques and then look up at the thing like you go look at the things themselves and go to what you're attracted to and then you go look at the fucking plaque so like that's how i can't tell you how many real estate agents i've worked for that have that kind of mindset where they're like they they want to oh it's really important that you push that it's a two and a half fucking bedroom make sure that you put the pricing out there right there and it's like why would you do that why would you put it all out there like that because then you get people that run by and look at just the number too and there's and then you track people that are interested in that and the high-end people don't give two flying fucks about that number they're going to see the thing that they want to see and then they're going to be like yo does that hit all the fucking check marks okay how much does it cost okay cool let's fucking go so it's like i love to hear that you're like yo let's go fucking lifestyle oriented well yeah anyone who's interested in the room too the how i got hooked on it is if you go to youtube and type in tim smith orange county I think like with Caldwell Banker, he or you can type in "teach me how to Duffy," uh, D U F F Y, and Duffy in Newport Beach, California, is like one of these. I think it's like an electric boat, but it's like Inner Harbor. It's kind of like people will go out for like a little cruise or whatever, and it's called the Duffy. And so this guy, this freaking boss of a real estate broker, Tim Smith, paid like 
I think the video production was like 30k, but he brought uh, who sang "Teach Me How to Dougie." Like uh, the I forget. Like uh, he brought no. that rap group that made "Teach Me How to Dougie." They made a parody that they wrote called "Teach Me How to Duffy," and the guys pull up in this like low rider, and they're like, "Yo, what up? What what the hell is that?" And the guys like, "Oh, that that's a Duffy, my friend. You want to come along?" And they make this parody of, like, Teach Me How to Duffy. And then Tim Smith, the guy, comes in and raps. He's, like, 10,000 square feet, marble countertops, blah, blah, blah. Like, he's rapping. They're throwing a party at this $30 million waterfront house in Newport Beach. And, dude, he fucking sold that. And that thirty grand was a marketing write-off for the home. And, like, it's because the listing was expired at, like, $28 million. He raised the price, put in marketing. And then literally sold it for more than what it expired for just because of that creative right. video. That's sick. So sick. That's so sick. Andrew, what do you think about that? Andrew also does video. Him and I. He's well not not you, Andrew. The other Andrew, the one behind the mindful DJ. What are you talking about, man? I'm so confused. I just do some Twitch streaming. I don't really make any videos. No, no, Andrew. So Andrew behind the mindful DJs account. Yeah, I uh, I think it's actually I, I think it's really cool when people do things like that. I have a I have a buddy that works here locally, and he works with um. There's there's essentially this real estate agency that got started up uh, by these two guys that I know, and it's the it, it was like a really competitive area where we're at in, in terms of real estate, just because uh, we had a really big hurricane come through and blah blah blah, um, and so housing is like hard to get. And uh, they essentially started this company like right before the hurricane and they were like really smart when it came to just like their social media presence and encouraging and educating the real estate agents to be present on social media and create videos. And so uh, all of these like really big companies like Keller Williams and like all these like massive real estate like brokerages were just getting like ran over by then because like you go anywhere in town you don't see any other real estate advertising except for this one agency that's in here it's called think real estate and they actually did a music video um they had like a guy come in like a friend that they know that actually one of the real estate agents is a um a producer like has a studio and everything and so he brought in uh, a few of the guys and like one of the guys is a rapper and so they made this song and it like blew up on facebook and like got shared all over social media and stuff like that because they're they're uh well, it like blew up locally, if that makes sense. They went viral, like local. Um, and it, it like genuinely, like they were, I was talking to them and they were saying that like they saw an increase in sales because so many people thought it was funny and that they were just like finding out who their agents were and stuff like that to get houses. So it's just crazy that people overlook, like they're like, oh no, we don't have time for that. That's a waste of money. It's like, dude, you don't realize, you know, you do something funny like that. You do something that captures people's attention and you, and you, you, pull them in you pull on that like comedy factor whether it be emotional or whatever you can incentivize them to purchase and like like you said that guy raised the price on that house and just made money on it and then it was an advertising write-off yeah it's you gotta just think outside the box especially in this like thing there are a bunch of instagram influencers too that just go to the hamptons and they literally do a hyperlapse on like a freaking iphone <laughs> and people think it's like so groundbreaking that you can see this awkwardly sped up frame rates in this of course like if you do it in like a 10 million dollar listing people are going to watch that video because the average person has never even stepped foot in a 10 million dollar listing um but yeah it's 
there's a lot of cool stuff too. And it's just, it shows like that any market that you want to get into, if like you bring like a little different, like side caveat to like your services or what offer, like we started doing a lot of Instagram reels, like with uh, the brokerage that I'm with and like literally every single person, I mean, every single one of our competitors is like literally trying to look at us. And, and that's like very humbly I'm saying that, but it's true because in real estate, I mean, how did you always advertise? You go to classifieds, you pay to get in the paper. I mean, most of these accounts, like in small Rhode Island, man, they're not, these aren't like huge, like marketing budgets. I mean, if like, if I go to LA and I say, Hey, I'm going to be a drone op, like on, on set. I mean, that's like 1200 bucks. as like your day fee here. Oh my God. Like you'd be lucky if like someone doesn't balk at you when you say, yeah, it's going to be a hundred bucks an hour, 200 bucks an hour. It's like they freaking go nuts and be like, that's crazy. But it's like, what is different between here and LA? I mean, people just in LA pay even higher prices for, for that talent. But in the small pond here, everyone wants to like bull you down on price. And I feel like that's not just here. It's, it's definitely at other markets around the world. And uh, yeah, it's like the biggest bluff is like, telling them, no, we're not going to do it for that price. So I don't need your business then. And having the confidence to realize there'll be someone else down the road rather than like thinking that this person is going to be the person that pays your bills. And then they'll just stick that syringe in you and suck all the whatever they can out of you until, until they're ready to, to go on to the next kid. Who's the sucker to, to give them that big discount. It's funny you say that because, um, I noticed that as a problem when I started my business like three years ago and like I right out the gate just didn't like I I read all those horror stories and just experienced my personal friends that have their own businesses um, underpricing themselves and so I straight up was like I'm not gonna do that and I I don't care if I starve I'm not gonna do it and so I held my ground and I noticed that like when you hold your ground on that and you show that you're confident and why you price people like oh I can't afford that and it's like okay let me know when you can I'll talk to you later (laughs) um and I started meeting with a lot of these younger videographers in our area and sitting them down and being like, don't charge $500 for a video. Do not like your quality is way better than mine. And you could be charged. Like, here's what I'm charging. Here's what I'm doing. Stop doing that because everybody's going to think that you, they can just get a video for $500 and you're going to be, you're going to burn yourself out and you're not going to want to do your business anymore. And then they're going to, like you said, leech from you and move on to the next guy. And it's sad. And so I think being able to educate those people, and not gatekeep. That's one thing that a lot of artists do is they don't want you to like know what they're doing to make their money. And it's like, not nah, like full transparency. Like if we all come up on our prices, like you raise that floor price, bro. <laughs> but yeah, you all come up on your prices. People will pay you what you're worth. But I feel like also in a smaller, like in my market, what I've seen with that is like, like there are some people man that like okay karma will get them down the way because it's like dude you can you can tell them everything that you're doing or that and they just go and try and wrap it up and sell it to your vendors like dude the amount of people that i've had that get a drone and they they look at who i tag or something like or who i shop for and they go and like directly hit up that company like bro I've had them slide into my company's DMs and I'm like, I run the account. Like I have provision. I'm like looking at their message come through and I'm like, you're a snake. Like you, like, it's almost like I'm watching the, and I kind of like give them like a really good answer. Like here, feel free to email this and send your pricing sheet over there. And it's like, you, you never know, like people will always be slimy. So it's like, 
you got to just focus on the quality work. What do you offer? And if they offer something similar, like you just have to blow it out of the park and figure out where in your process you can make little things. Like, I mean, the, the best thing that I always do now is like any video that gets exported, I just reorient it into a reels format for you. And then I, I shoot them out and I say, Hey, here's your widescreen optimized for Facebook. Like you bring in the media encoder and if you throw them three files and you say, all right, this one's specifically optimized for Facebook video at 4K viewing. This one's specifically optimized for YouTube compression at 4K viewing. Uh, this one is going to go for your Instagram Reels. And then here is also a mobile viewing widescreen if you choose to publish via the Facebook mobile app. You just shot the same file to them four different times, but you just exported it differently. So you're like in, you're holding an extra what? 10 gigabytes of space on your computer uh, that you can then drop into their Dropbox and they feel like they're like, holy crap, like my other videographer didn't optimize this. It's just because your other videographer is a lazy little leech that is like not going to take the time to export a file name and give it that little customization and directive. And then you're pretty much giving them puzzle pieces they know how to work with. And they immediately think like, oh my God, you are, you are the best. And you laugh your way to the bank because you just hold your, your brand, you know, that's, it's all branding. My biggest thing is like always over promising and, and, and under, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> under promising over delivery. <laughs> um, which I think it's like, that's just a basic thing. That a lot of people do. And I agree a hundred percent with what you're saying right there with any, any business that you run, if you just step up and do a micro fraction more than what the leech is doing, you, you will do great. And I always tell people that is like, don't get discouraged by people that are like outperforming you. And like you said, with the leech thing, like, you know, it's funny. I work with a, a marketing company locally that they just source me for their video work. And I had, a, I have a friend that's been like mentoring me and I, I've told him a million times that company that I work for. And he like reached out to them with a full pitch on like, cause he was like, Oh, I got to get into a marketing company too. That's smart. And then he like emailed them his entire like portfolio and like his rates. And they called me and were like, yo, don't you know this guy? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, no, nah, we're not even going to bother with him because like that's not cool and i was like i respect that they respect that but at the same time it's like yeah you can't you you go out of your way sometimes for people and they take advantage of you like that and that's okay because at the end of the day like if you're still providing value and you're doing what you're doing you shouldn't feel upset about that because you understand what you're doing and where your value is at and people that feel intimidated normally don't understand what value they provide for their customers and that's when it comes down to really like your uh, your relationships. And I think anyone in the room that is really thinking about starting a business or if they have, please come up and share your experience. But it really is it really is about like the relationships you you bring, like it, just those text messages you can send to someone or, or giving someone a call, like when you're on the road to give them up, an update on on that. That's why they're going to anchor towards you because like it's like don't fix what isn't broken. So if you're upholding on your quality, on your standard and everything like that, and you build a good relationship and you're always attentive and good with communication, there's no reason that you would want to cut the anchor line and try something different. That's human nature. We're scared to make changes, scared to make the jump. So like nurture your garden, like it's your own, like you're going to eat from it. And then those people, just like you said, who came in behind your back, try to pitch them. It dings you so bad. It dings you so bad. You let them come to you uh, in, in those like little uh, 
nuances of situations where it's it's very kind of close to home you you let them come to you and then you you relieve all malicious intent and you say look man i'm sorry but x and x came to me and i shot them a price based off their request you now you just put the leverage back in your court and you just sing your sing your song and dance yeah yeah and this is what i refer to all the time i tell people like this is brand equity uh and brand loyalty and you know this is where statistically you know there's we we talk about like okay it takes 21 repetitions on average for you to develop a habit it takes about seven interactions with you with with a brand or with with something with a person or you know typically like brands and stuff like that it takes like seven interactions before you really become conscious and start to, to become aware of of the brand itself and start to ask questions and become uh, more into what it is that is being marketed to you and it only takes three times for people to have great experiences that cement themselves into assuming and and and, and assigning you in their brain as the go-to expert for a thing and so that's where i try to hit people with like you want to get those interact. You want to build those up. And so more, this is where like, like what we're going to do today, like we've got Baffinet taking notes. Um, we've got, we're putting on, we've, you know, this 117 conversations we've had um, all of them recorded on Twitter, but Twitter doesn't let us take them off. So now we're going to take this, we're recording it um, right now off on the computer itself. We're going to put some bumpers on it, put it on Spotify, and we're going to cut out all of these conversations too and turn them into little pieces of social media content that we can distribute out. Drone God's going to be able to share his little tidbits with his network and, and put it across the, you know, social media. And, you know, this is just like really simple things that when you do that, like we take this one conversation that we're having right now, and then you can, instead of putting your energy into thinking about how you can make more content and have more conversations, you just have the same conversation and make it as easy as possible for people to have that conversation with you by cutting it up and distributing it. And when you put your energy into that and you know that you're talking about the thing that you have authority in and that you can leverage yourself um, and then, then it's also a thing that can be used to qualify and segment people out. You know, it sucks when you have to turn away somebody that's like really, really nice or really awesome, but they just aren't, don't, they're, they're not in your, in your realm of being able to work with them because they just don't have the budget or whatever. When you're creating content like this, you get yourself, um, on to where, <laughs> when you when you start creating content like this you get it to where you can essentially provide the quality to the people themselves that don't necessarily have the budget to do the thing that you are offering but they can start to do it themselves and they can take and you can start to explain it or you can at least break down fundamentals and principles that will allow those people to take them and apply them in their own way and they'll segment themselves naturally. And then the people that are left over are the ones that actually give a shit and see what you're talking about. And that adds value. And then they take that away and they do something with it. And that's the kind of thing where you can create three of those interactions and they don't even have to buy anything from you. And they've already cemented themselves with you. And they assume now they're like, yo, this is the guy. I talked to him about NFTs or I talked to him about photography or I talked to him about real estate editing for my fucking pictures because he's the one that like actually gets it. And and they only have to, and this is like chaos theory too. Going back to what he said, so many people are just fakers and they're just like doing that lowest common denominator bullshit, doing the, the you know, taking the lowest hanging fruit. Like I said, going to the fucking, you know, Walmart, picking up a little DSLR and then calling themselves a professional and charging 
you know, shit rates for, for videos and then just doing what they see. They're reactionary. They see what social, what's happening on social media and they try to replicate that. But by the time they become good enough at that thing, the trend has moved on to something else. So now you're just dealing with somebody that's mediocre at doing the thing that was cool six months ago versus dealing with somebody that's actually on the cusp of the trend itself and is able not, they're not on, they're not trendy because it's trendy and cool to be trendy, but they're trendy because they're the ones that are leveraging the actual things that the trend is, is built off of. And when we're talking about like popular culture, trends happen for a reason. They're not adopted just randomly and arbitrarily. It might seem random, but it's really not. Think about like, there's always a reason. Think about like graphic design, like the, the graphics that we have that are trendy right now are trendy because that's, we're at a point where we can do things that we haven't been able to do before with the computers that we have now. And the amount of people that are able to use those computers are able to push the limits and that's where the trends come from. So that's why we're seeing like trendy 3D stuff right now and all this like render stuff. It's been around for years, but right now it's like super popular because everybody's using it in their NFT projects. Um, everybody's using it in their marketing. It's in music videos, um, deep fake technology. That's been around for three, four years now. Um, I've, I, have, I have the software on my computer. I've never fucked with it, but I have the code to actually fucking do it. But that's the thing is like, there's people that actually are able to do that stuff themselves. Um, and they've been doing it for years and years. And now we're at a tipping point where they will start to do that. There's enough people now that they can execute on it. And because it's never been done before, it's also never been seen before. And since it hasn't been seen before, the people that are like, wow, if they understand what it is and they're the movers and shakers of the, of the world, think of like the NFT influencers, the, the ones that actually get it and understand what makes it special, the novelty of it, they'll start to share it. And when they start to share it because they think it's cool and they've never seen anything like it, they're going to share it with their audiences that have definitely never seen anything like it, despite the fact that it's been something that's been around for three, four or five years. So that's where just fucking do you and focus on the things that you're good at. There's, there's plenty, you can pick two or three things that you're great at and, and like cement yourself in and just start talking about them and carve out time for you to do things like this. Have little spaces for an hour, an hour and a half on a regular basis where you can talk about your expertise, whatever it is, whether it's marketing or photography or if it's trading or whatever. You be babysitting for a lot, you know, like, like just, and especially on Twitter. And then I'll shut up. But Twitter's like, this is still a place where with the spaces and the way that Twitter's competing with Clubhouse and Facebook, they're going to continue to put energy into the spaces. Um, and because it, it's, it's a core part of their infrastructure. And we're going to start to see spaces deviate away from just Web3 and artsy spaces. We're going to see people start having spaces for things like business strategy. And we're going to see teams getting together and having like morning meetups and stuff like that, like we are right now. But it's going to be for like a company or something like that. Um, I also like I've already got accepted to do ticketed spaces. So you're going to see people that are holding like seminars and charging X amount of money to get access to the space itself. So there's there's plenty of stuff to do and don't worry about creating the content itself but worry about the content the subject matter itself what you're going to talk about and make sure that's rooted in something that you actually give a shit about and ideally something that you can talk about at great lengths without getting tired because that's what's going to build up your 
brand affinity, your brand loyalty, and your brand equity. And and the more you do it, the easier and easier it becomes. And I think you hit on like a really really good point of like in from my experience in photography and anyone who is an artist like doesn't it or whatever you're selling a service no matter what but i found it biggest in my photography is i made an online store for like the first time i mean people would always ask oh can i get a print of this and then i said all right so here's the big this is the first milestone in my career making my e-commerce store okay how do i do it and i i had some uh some very good like mentors and all all different mentors that never sold anything in their life and mentors that like were really good at editorial stuff or really good at keeping relationships. But it came to me when someone who is much more wealthy than me, uh, she, she came to me and I mean, she's a, uh, a great mentor. Um, but she had a higher clientele of higher net worth clients that were willing to pay. Right. Um, and I think I do too, but I just didn't know that. And why didn't I know that? Because my work was priced much cheaper than those uh, that would even consider buying it. And so she said to me, she goes, um, I hope you know, PJ, like this is your whole thing. But if you price your work higher, it's better because you're always going to be stuck at whatever point you come out at. She goes, no matter what, I mean, you, you can always try to try to crawl up if you want, but I mean, it's much easier to give a small discount than it is to try and crawl up the ladder after, so because someone random will come out of the gate and price themselves higher than you. And if you've been doing all this business down there, the more, the more sales that you make, the more you're cemented to that original number. They'll look back and horrible with the fl- inflation. Five years from now, they'll go and look back, be like, oh, man, I bought a piece from PJ for $100. Like, no, I don't want him saying that. I want him being like, wow, I, I spent $1,000 on that piece. And now his new stuff's selling for ten grand. And it, it's like from just hopping on all these spaces. Like, I haven't launched anything in the NFT space or like a collection or an edition yet. Um, but it, it's – there's also the conversation that's going to have to be had. It goes like, do you want everyone to own your work? Like I've been a very singular person. I'm not too worried about, um, I, I see the value of community, but I also don't see the, the purpose of everyone having my photos on the, their wall because then in the $10 million home on the water, that having that piece of artwork in a four by eight foot metal piece is going to be much, much more symbolic and more kind of like attracting to my brand if they're the ones that have it and not everyone else does. And that's something that you're going to have to make. Like, do you just take 1% of your sales and make like a really high end net worth profit or what do you do? And I think navigating that space is so, so key. And then another tip is like, if you um, are able to print stuff out or if you scan stuff, I mean, the cost of goods sold, that's a, it's a write-off. So if, if you're, if you want to play the, and I'm not a financial advisor, not a tax consultant, so consult your own attorney. But um, if you go buy, I mean, one of the, the next, I'm joining an art show for, for July. And realistically, to get my pieces printed just at, before anyone buys them, it's going to probably cost about $2,500 to get uh, the metal display that I want to provide. And that, but it's going to be like eight feet by eight feet. It's going to be epic. Um, but what are you willing to invest in yourself? Are you willing to take that? 2500 putting in so to say like an escrow account until you finally make that that purchase and then the installation and 
sure, maybe you'll go and net five to, to 10 grand off that. But like, how much are you going to be able to invest rather than if you don't have anything to show? I mean, it's like if you're trying to print something huge and get a high margin, then you better go and have something that's like worth two grand in your house where you're like, whoa, this is a little crazy. But thank God it's my work because I only paid two grand rather than 10. And I, I think that's going to be a major shift because the more Twitter spaces you sit on, you'll, you'll listen to some people that really aren't selling that high price of art. They're trying to go transaction and that's all right. But if you're going to ever want to switch up your brand and go for more exclusive or go for higher end, you got to do it now, even if you're a nobody, because it's going to pay you dividends and it's going to be like the, the perfect ingredient to your recipe 10 years down the line, not just 10 days from now, even if you don't have any sales yet. I love your energy. I love your vigor. Um, no, and I want to, I want to talk with you about that too. Like if you ever do have any questions, you want to launch some stuff, let me know. Um, I feel like with NFTs, especially with real world artists, um, do IRL stuff or traditional artwork. Um, you know, there's so many potential opportunities it's, and it's, and, and there's an opportunity cost as with everything, but like right now, that's one of the things that I feel like, you know, we're going to see down the line, you know, NFTs, um, I, like I've already talked about figuring out ways to, to like pair physical items with NFTs create the use so that when you do create a web store on your website and you and you do like a web three version where people are buying with their wallets and stuff you know five years in the future or if you want to be the first photographer you know to let people pay with whatever you know currency they want to that's erc20 or whatever it is that you're using um you know then you can go ahead and build out your own uh marketplace and we're going to see that like shopify you're going to see and I hate using that analogy, but I talked to a friend the other day who said the same thing. And I'm like, man, I hate using the word Shopify because I try to get people off of Shopify to build their own marketplaces on their own websites that they own the code to, not something that is owned by another company that they have to go to and log into. So um, with that, like when we do end up doing that, I think that it's going to be easy. Um, it's going to it's going to become very just like if you would tell somebody right now if they cash app you and they send you money. You know, there's just there's functions. There's there's things that happen on the back end. So in the future, we're going to get to that point where you know when you do a transaction and you are sending people something, you know, you can do it in a way that it integrates with your Web three wallet and can um, initiate certain things. So like if you are, say, taking this piece and selling it to this guy over here, you know, you can do that and it'll automatically transact it and then you can give him the in real life thing. So he has the NFT, which is essentially the receipt or could be used as something like a receipt to say like now he has it um, and that that transaction occurred and you can see how much he paid for it when that NFT was transferred and now he has the art that goes with it. Um, you know, figuring out ways to get that to happen automatically over time, that's going to be the kind of protocol stuff that I'm talking about that I think is going to be really advantageous. There's going to be a lot of Salesforce type companies that come out of nowhere over the next few years, I believe in, that are going to be leveraging this where they understand that, okay, it's going this direction. If we can just figure out how to do really basic level shit right now and show proof of concepts, then we can just already start to make money off of that. And then we can actually build clout, build authority, and get to chewing up bigger and bigger things. Um, but I also think too that like you can do digital art as an IRL photographer and you don't have to necessarily like do the same things like you can you can do specific collections do one-to-one -one stuff do like small little things like if you're if you're like got a passion like you're like an aerial photographer so like yo if you got a passion for like doing like really cool stuff that's not real estate related 
or architect or you know like necessarily like for work but like maybe like architecture aerial photography you know you can do like a little collection like that and i tell like my fiance i'm working her right now with her to like help her kind of like get one up uh because she's a, she does her boudoir photography and she's already done a session that she wants to turn into like an nft collection and this is why i tell people um that are doing it for the art's sake it's just treat it like a regular ass art collection like that's the nft is just a semantic piece at the very end of it that just means that you're going to register it on a blockchain but at the end of the day the art is just the art so just do the thing like make the pictures figure out and and that's the thing is like what's going to draw that together the thematic side of that is what's going to add value if you just start throwing up random pictures as nfts nobody's going to fucking buy that but when you come at it with a collection and say hey i'm telling the story through pictures here and i've specifically curated x amount of pictures out of all of the pictures that i took to help tell the story and you can buy a piece of the story as an nft that's a no-brainer somebody that actually wants to buy photography art um, as nfts is going to see immediate value in that versus some random jamoke that's just like throwing pictures up and, and minting them on OpenSea. And then like Kat was talking about last week too, even going a further step and, and like using um, non-custodial contracts to actually own your work 100%. So you don't have to let OpenSea share ownership with your work when you mint it on OpenSea, you own it 100%. Just like if you build a website for yourself, you don't have to worry about anybody other than the host taking it down. But in this sense, you don't even have to worry about that happening unless the fucking network gets destroyed. So it's... um. It's it's interesting. And then I don't know if you've heard it or not. Have you heard me talk about my friend Sharuk, the the chick up in Kuwait? No, I haven't. <laughs> Dude, uh, great use case. Um she um she's a chick. She's got a PhD, she lives in Kuwait. It's like a male, it's like a patriarchy, uh democracy, like patriarchal patriarchy, maybe. I don't know. Um it's just guys that make decisions there. And it's mostly based on like religious law and stuff like that too. So, you know, very uh, marginalized uh, country, lots of, lots of people, lots of women, lots of people that just aren't in the leadership. You know, they're not men, they can't make decisions. Um, they're not allowed to vote, all that shit. Well, um, she's been making art also. So she's already a doctor, but she's also been making art since 2012, like ham. And she's had two different exhibitions in real life where she actually had the government come in and seize her work and censor her and like lock her like gallery and everything up and like say that like anybody like she adds more work she didn't get arrested she's been detained the last time they did it in 2018 the the government like you know their version of like the 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 SWAT team or whatever came in and poured wax on the door and, and put the governmental seal on it so like she's been persecuted for her art by the government and censored and she uses nfts as a way for her to distribute her art and not have to worry about it getting taken down ever being censored despite the legal ramifications that she might have to face that's so wild that's crazy that we have a world she can do that that's sweet i know that's the cool thing that's why i try to tell people too like you know, you know it's easy to think that certain you know you have to do a certain thing because we see how things are being done but that's the cool thing about NFTs is like there's a thousand different opportunities and potentials that we haven't even like really realized yet. And that's why I really try to push the boundary when it comes to like doing projects, like the projects that we're going to be working on in the mindful DGENs is going to be a lot of that stuff, like really small scale projects that are either one-to-one -one 
or generative projects, um, working with artists within the community. All of the projects that we're going to be commissioning are going to be community um, coordinated. And we're more or less just going to be bringing them together and then letting the community manage it itself, but providing the things to so helping with like the development, helping with getting the art organized, the promotions, the marketing, uh, all of the overall planning and, and all of that shit. And all of the money that's generated, we're going to put out to the team that helps with that. And then the rest of it's going to go to the community wallet. And then in the future, the goal is to actually have enough in our community wallet that we can pay ahead of time and actually pay people as they go for the work rather than wait until after the project itself mints. That's super cool. Yeah, it's it's yeah. going to be fun when uh, more and more of these projects, I think with um, like I'm very, very new to I haven't been a holder of like Kazuki and all that different stuff. But um, f for me, from an outsider's perspective or an, a new a newbie's perspective, I really think that they're going to, of course, be those cloud projects that are just like, all right, you're part of that network. But I think like a lot of these, especially like art, um, you're really going, I think the, the artists that are going to be dropping collections and stuff and be successful in the NFT space and all price points are really going to be those ones that are like committed to being an artist, like, and not just riding their secondary job, um, and, and try to live this like double life. Like being an artist, like, isn't really, um, all that fun. Like, it's not, it's not just like, oh, I can be an artist today and then get back to it um next weekend like or go out there it's like a it's a full-on thing and it's like running a, a full-time business i mean you're your own branding marketing promotion plus uh administrator plus like the the head of everything that you want to do and accomplish and uh and and dropping collections is not just easy i mean not like finalizing your photo edits and everything like that i think people overlook that more so and now it's just kind of like a minting fest but I really like what you're talking about with connecting to bigger organizations or being a part of something different. And then I think artists are going to also not so much how you can like use it in real life. Like not everything has to be like a trade off, but I really do think that um, whether you're like in a network of for airdrops or um, maybe even like these ticketed events spaces, different stuff like that. I think the creators that are thinking, Hey, how can I continue my branding and make something that's an addition for some of one of my holders? Because like, dude, you can look at all my stuff right now and be like, wow, that's super, super great. He has some talent, but like, I'm going to go with this guy because it's like a cool nuance to like art and like in my home, I can do this with it or whatever. And I think just in the new multi-faceted economy that we have, it used to be people came over for dinner on Saturdays and you could show off your artwork, right? But now it's like, I think we're living in a different paradigm shift of social um, social norms and, and social interactions are going to be much different than just traveling here. I mean, maybe your best friends live in Los Angeles, you live in Boston. And how do you communicate or how do you still spend quality time with them? And then how do you share parts of your life? because maybe they'll only step into your home once or, or in that home you move. So I think traditional artwork is also going to be kind of like a, not a thing of the past. It will definitely be cherished and maybe you'll have like your art gallery actually inside a home and, it, and that will take the place of like the study or the office, you know? Um, but then I also think there will be a, a digital facet and like holding all these NFTs. I mean, 
maybe it's even like you can design a room when you go into one of your rooms and all your NFTs will pop up. But when you take off the, the glasses or whatever, um, you'll have your physical art. So it will, it will be constantly evolving, but it's going to be sweet. You know, I love that you said that too, because like that's one of the, you brought up a good point. You know, you said it doesn't have to always have utility. I'm not too concerned. I don't I don't like to see projects that try to force utility in their project because there's only so much utility that we have right now available. Seriously, I've broken it down. There's three functions of an NFT right now, and it's to buy and sell actual art, to fundraise something, so like to just generate funds for something, um, or to actually act as like a key or token to access something. Um, those are the three core functions, the ends, like, and if it's a fundraising thing, then you got to consider, like, and I try to tell people, like, if you're to like critically analyze, like, don't just say, Oh, I'm making an NFT and I'm just contributing to the space. Like, no, there's billions of NFTs out there. You don't just make one now at this point. Like, it's not, you know, it's not two, you could have done that in 2018 and, and made huge waves and just made something. And people would be like, wow, because there was hardly anything, but like now, you know, it's not enough just to exist. And so with that being said, I think that, you know, with the fundraising aspect, if you're putting together a token that's going to act as a mechanism to fundraise, then you ultimately need to actually focus on the fundraising thing. What are you going to be raising funds for? And if it's a business or it's an idea, then you need to go and talk more about the business and the idea and market that than the NFT. Because the NFT is just a mechanism for people. That's the conversion. That's getting people, like, once you sell them on the idea of wanting to help you, then they get the fucking NFT, not the other way around. If it's a utility like, oh, we're giving them access to the website or something, again, put the energy into that. If you're going to be doing live events, if you're going to be putting um, a blog together and you're going to be token gating it so it's a private blog for only token holders, build the fucking blog. Don't make the token and then say, and then we're going to make the blog. That's fucking stupid. Like, do it the other way around. Unless you need to, again, use it as a fundraising mechanism, in which case you go to explain how the blog is going to be like a bigger lifestyle brand or whatever it is. And investing in that means that you're going to help build that out. Um, then you got to explain, you know, what are you going to be doing? That's what we're doing, right? Like, that's why we're building the blog out. We're trying to create a truly um, native web three lifestyle brand for the people in the space that actually give a shit, the builders that want to build and connect and learn together. Because again, we realize that right now there's, there's all the opportunities already here for what we currently have. We need to build more in order to get more opportunity. And so that's like the goal for us is to just get together and build this shit. So again, and then the third option, if it's not going to be token gating something, which is again, very simple. It's just like, go to the New York Times website, you have an email and password, replace that with, you have a token inside of a wallet. Um, at the end of the day, what they're accessing after they unlock it is what actually matters. The token doesn't matter for shit. It's just there, it's a key. Uh, and then it's art. And then if you're actually gonna say it's art, then it needs to be actual fucking art. Not like, oh, like, like we've been joking about, you know, the motherfuckers that argue about PFP projects and start getting into like the semantics of like comparing like the width of the lines or like the texture or something like that, or like the gradients. You're like, oh, this one's definitely more artsy because like, look at this gradient over here compared to that gradient. It's like, y'all are not people that actually know what the fuck art is. You guys are just arguing over semantic choices now in the art style itself, rather than actually looking at what it is. And so that's easy. If you're a fucking artist, you're a fucking artist. And like I said, make a collection and treat it like something that you would do in real life, even if you didn't have an NFT. And then all you have to do is create the NFT for that and then put it up on the fucking internet.
And that's it. So I think that that's where we're at right now. And and the coolest thing is that what I look at it is you can create an NFT not for, you know, like I, so many people try to do it just for trading. I'm liking the concept of NFTs as direct marketing mechanisms, giving them to people that you know actually give a shit about your business or your brand or your concept or your art, and then using that as a way to continually interact with them and give them things. You can airdrop stuff to them in the future, or you can let them access certain things. If you put some content out, um, you know, you can do something. If you want to, or even if you want to do a giveaway or a promotion, you can token gate the promotion website to where people have to lock in, log in with their MetaMask and authenticate that they have your NFT in it in order to see the actual promotion code itself. Simple stuff. So I don't know. That's where I'm at with it. I think that there's a lot of opportunities in the future. And at this point in time, I think that we've kind of realized as many opportunities as we can. And it's like an 80, 20 thing we can continue to like push and there's sure going to be more stuff that we can figure out, but you know, the, um, the amount of energy that it's going to take for us to realize that opportunity versus if we put that energy into actually building off of what we already have, um, I think it would be better used to do that latter than, um, than to consider, you know, continue to try to push for what we can right now, just because like there's there's so much happening, and again, I think this is going to move towards like independent, um, like a really independent movement where people are leveraging this technology for their own websites, for their own businesses, to 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 make it to where they have an actual, you know, Web three marketplace on their website where they can sell their own NFTs, their art, whatever it is. They can accept currencies. They can sell fucking tokens that they can go redeem for in real life services. Like there's so many basic ways that if you just sit down and and actually think about what you're trying to do and have enough understanding of what we're currently working with and what the core utility and function is of these tokens um it's not going to be hard for you to figure out a way to actually put together like a really good marketing thing that's not gimmicky that actually can educate people and at the same time become useful and uh, provide utility and add value to whatever it is that you're doing i think also too like um realistically like if we look back like if you were going to and this one just speaks from my own personal experience. And it's like if we were going to um, a baseball game or something, like I, I am a Red Sox fan. So if I went to a Red Sox game um, and I bought the ticket off StubHub, right? I mean, if I got locked out of my email, <laughs> I'm pretty screwed. Like I need to, need to find that RFID code again. Or if I don't have screenshot, I got to get back into my email somehow to, to get that. I mean – Maybe I could log in again, but that's a whole other thing. But if I could like now, so I think it was like two years ago or what or three now, um, I was at the Red Sox game in like April. It was a cold kind of like blistery night um, and it ended up being a really good game. The skies kind of cleared up, but that's when Joe Kelly uh, hit Tyler Austin at uh, the plate because he slid up with his cleats up and next thing you know the Yankees and Red Sox rivalry was kind of like quote-unquote ignited again via Sports Center and ESPN because like they had a full bench clearing brawl twice on on at that game I have footage on my cell phone from like being in that memory I mean that is one of like the most raw cool memories that I have saved and it's like right now on all of our phones 
we have all these like authentic memories saved, right? Like from that. I mean, I have so many videos from that night. The first brawl that happened, the second one, hearing the Yankees suck the loudest I've ever had it recorded in my phone. Like if that ticket that I had was in one of my wallets as an NFT, I'd probably mint those videos from my phone and just see what anyone would be willing to offer me on them just to like have or, or almost like hold them in like my sports memorabilia. Like, I, I'm not sure if you, if people in this room have ever gone on to like YouTube and if they have a favorite sports team, like watch the montage of their favorite sports teams. Like I'm thinking in the next 10 to 15, 20 years, if, if you can have access to this wallet or this NFT, I mean, it's going to be different than hard drives, right? I mean, like my hard drives for photos, I sometimes am like worried that they may go in and get like water on them or, or die. And like, how will that really happen to your wallet? Of course, maybe cold wallet, but if it's on the blockchain and you mint these things and you keep them in a cat in a, in a catalog of all your favorite moments, I mean, that's where you should really think about metaverse coming in is like, what are like, can we have this like cool thing where like on a Friday night, no one's doing anything and you just want to hang out. What if you go and watch like all of your, like, what if you get to go and re-enter your camera roll from iPhones that you've had in 12 years past? Like, remember those little moments. Like if I could carry those on, I guess right now it's your iCloud backup. If you're using an iPhone, but once these kind of turn into NFTs and I feel like NFT will almost like not even be like a real, like it's something more than an an NFT. is just almost like a catch buzzword right now where people either be like, ah, those are a bunch of bullshit or they'll be like, oh, I love NFTs. I'm so obsessed. But sooner or later it will be like, you're like, what's your backup look like? We'll say these, these lesser meaningful words, but we'll know what we're implying. And I think if you start kind of transitioning into there, you realize that like every single person, this is going to be a creator's economy, no matter if you're good at what you do or if you're bad, like or if you were just sitting at that Red Sox game and held up your photo or your phone in vertical motion and you're it's shaking and everything like that. But like that video might be worth something to someone who wasn't there and they just want to buy a part of it or you sell it as additions. And it's there's so much untapped potential. And right now we're just seeing it through a scope of like, Markets are crashing. NFTs are bullshit. Art's uh, subjective. And uh, I think it's more like the mass adoption comes in because then you can't forget we're not – I don't know coding. I mean what you're saying, Dennis, is like trying to get people off these paid subscription forms that kind of do everything for you but own all your IP. I I really think as it starts transitioning out and they're more user-friendly tools that don't go in and and, – attack for your copywriter the ownership of how those systems work we'll see like a huge influx of of mass adoption that was really good i appreciate the points there uh really good insight really you've obviously thought about this just as much as i have um but we're at a point too where it's like about time for us to wrap it up uh drone god are you in our discord Yes, I think I am. And, and being my naive self, I like him so intimidated by Discord because I don't even really know how to work it. But I, I think I got in there last time via the link. I will uh, check in again. That's yeah, one thing. No. If I admit anything, I'm not on Discord at all. Uh, but I got to be more. And that's fine. You know why? Because like we understand that too. And as a marketer, like I've been saying that for a while, I've been telling people like, yo, you don't have to force community management is about understanding where your community is and not forcing them into a bucket for direct marketing. 
um, which is what most people use Discord for. So uh, I try to really focus on on creating a space. Like the Discord is more or less like our meeting point. It's our it's our uh, hub. You know, that's where we have our lounges. It's where we have some different conversation spaces um, where, you know, if you're a developer or an artist and you want to talk to other artists and developers or creators in there, um, collectors, traders, et cetera, we have different spaces open for that. And we're continually um, practicing channel management. We're working on adding new channels and updating them and and just keeping it clean. And we're trying to make it, like I said, not the the not the shitty kind of discord that we see where people have just been trying to force people in there for marketing, but actually community focused discord where we can have conversations that are native and organic and special. So uh, we've went ahead though and uh, increased our influence, I suppose is a good way of, or, or rather our presence. We've, we've maximized our presence. Um, as you can see up top, we've got our Snapchat set up now. Um, we've had a TikTok for a couple of weeks that we've been experimenting with, but we're going to be adding actual short form content to it from our shows throughout the week, including our shows in the morning, and then especially like Ready Web 3 and all our other live streams. Um, so we're going to be chopping that stuff up. We're also going to be working on skits because uh, we want to have fun, and we're going to be doing that for reels as well. So we got Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, um, TikTok, and Twitch, and YouTube. What am I missing? And discord and i think that's it so we're pretty much everywhere and we really feel like facebook especially is going to be um a hotbed over the next you know three to six months for for getting people onboarded that don't want to go to twitter and don't just like you guys don't want to go to discord there's plenty of people that don't want to go to twitter and there's plenty of people that don't you know what i mean like it's all over the fucking place so that's why we're expanding our presence out focusing heavy on more content optimizing the content that we have and actually um, you know, creating more social content from it. So like I said, going through here, cutting these up, um, you know, taking little talking points and little tidbits and turning them into micro content and distributing them as efficiently as we can. We have a good team of about 10 to 12 people now. And, um, you know, we're growing that um, up. It's all volunteer stuff for for the DGENs itself. Um, some of the people that are on the team also work for us. And we, we have like a little agency where we do Web3 stuff. Um, but the DGENs itself, like at the end of the day, we really put all of our energy into it as volunteer energy um, and don't expect any compensation from it unless we put something into it to get out of it. So at the end of the day, we're building this up for the community. We want it to be as decentralized as possible as well, but we understand that it's not going to happen by itself. So we are taking some time to structure it and architect it and um, you know keep our hands on it. But ultimately, long term, we're going to be decentralizing it and 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 turning it into a DAO pretty much. Um, but we're not going to do that yet because we actually want to put in time and energy to make sure that we're structuring our DAO properly, um, that the code is is good. And, you know, we don't want to FOMO into this because this is something that we actually want to have for like five to 10 years at a minimum. So that's the kind of scale that we're thinking on. Um, so again, if you guys want to help out, if you guys want to contribute to the blog or help out with social media stuff, help writing content, help making content, you know, send us a DM, DM me, DM the, the actual page, hit us up on Twitter, or I mean, in the Discord, whatever, you know, just let us know. Uh, we appreciate you guys, though. Angel, Simo, Infinite, Boop, Goom, Baroness, Yang, Baphomet. You guys are amazing. Thank you all for showing up every day like you do and, everybody, and the other couple people that are listening that aren't here in the, in the room itself. 
uh, Drone God, thanks for showing up. Uh, again, you don't have to come into the Discord if you don't want to. That's why we have the other platforms, but you know, you're more than welcome to. And, and again, if you want to help out with anything, um, let us know. I actually want to talk to you in the DMs after this anyway. So look for out for a DM from me later on today. Will do, man. Thanks again. You guys are you guys are awesome. You're awesome, man. Go have a great day and uh, keep up the good work. Keep uh, you know keep staying on the cutting edge of being creative and uh, opportunistic. And um, too. <laughs> that's it, bro. Alex, Andrew, I'll talk to you guys in a little bit. Boop, I'll be getting up with you later. Uh, Baphomet, Angel, I'll talk to you guys too here shortly. Baroness, good seeing you again. And uh, again, Simo, Infinite, love you guys. Simo, good seeing your face. Uh, we'll catch you guys tomorrow, 9.30 a.m. Central Time. You already know what's up. You all have a great day. Sheesh. Peace out, guys. Thank you for checking out today's episode of Mindful Good Mornings. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at MindfulDGens. Be sure to check out our YouTube to see more of our community-driven shows. You can also join our Discord by following the link in our Twitter bio. And as always, we look forward to seeing you.